Welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this is episode number 12 with Suzanne Scott who operates under the name of Whimsical Lush. Um, I've got to apologise slightly for my croaky voice this week. Uh, the cold weather seems to have been taking its toll. We're also up to episode 12 which I think initially I said I was going to do a series of 12 and, and see how it goes. But it's gone rather well already and I've been encouraged by the the way people have received it and how many people are really up for coming on and and being guests on it. So the plan is to continue on for as long as I can, uh, releasing one each week. And I've also been encouraged by just the great stories that have been pulling out and just how many really interesting people there are working in and around Dundee at the moment and that bank of content's really starting to build up um, with all the episodes, so it's, yeah, it's great. And the plan is just to keep going and, and try and build that, that listenership. This week, Suzanne Scott, or a whimsical lush as she goes under, is an artist and illustrator. You'll probably have seen some of her work about the city. In Brewdog Dundee, sort of adorning the walls and the boards in there or in and around various shops and stalls and pop-ups. She's got quite a a distinctive uh, illustration style. So we chat about how that comes about, her transition from social work into full-time illustration, and also the the key role that she played in the Urwilly Bucket Trail last year, which is a, a sort of runaway success. So it's great to get a sort of insight into the sort of behind the scenes of that. But yeah, I'm going to give my voice a rest and, and just get into the podcast now. So this is episode 12 with Whimsical Lush. Well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, um, about 15 miles outside Dundee. So this was always like my main town for like shopping and going to go and swimming and stuff as a kid. But I came to live in Dundee and um, to study at Aberty. Uh, so it was psychology and biology, so I studied that for four years and then went to work for a wee bit doing PR for water authorities, really exciting stuff, but it was my first time at working with kids and um, doing a bit of education work, uh, really fancy, on a trail called Think Before You Flush. <laughs> <laughs> so we were educating kids and the public about where things go when you flush them down the loo. <laughs> it was dead glam. But I got to work with kids, so I was painting toilets and drawing pictures of sewage tanks and things to explain like how bacteria work and septic tanks and stuff. It was really glamorous, but that was my first taste of kind of the practical use of art in kind of getting a message across and how to engage like the public. So that kind of stuck with me um, from back then. And then I went on to do social work for two years at Dundee Uni and got my master's in that. And then I went on to work in Angus for about eight years at like the high end kind of co-face of things. I was working at the resource team and we were asked to work with all the high tariff kids that were like either about to hit secure unit level or were coming out of secure um, or fam- there was family breakdown and they were liable to maybe be um, taken into care to keep them safe. Just all that kind of really difficult to work with 
community and um, some met some really amazing kids and families through it. But my job was we're really stuck. We don't know how to help this child anymore. So would you come along? Would your team come along and help? So I would do a lot of art stuff with them hikes up mountains, walks along beaches, long drives, whatever it took to kind of kind of hook them in and get them interested in doing things. Um, so a lot of them didn't know how to kind of amuse themselves. They didn't have any hobbies or pastimes and weren't really sure. So they were kind of bored a lot of the time or just really anxious and upset about stuff. And so it was a good way of taking their minds off a really crappy situation sometimes that they were in. So it was really nice. When it, when it did work, it didn't always work, but when it did work, it was really nice seeing kids taking on projects that we started. So one girl I did um, a lot of artwork and poetry stuff with, and she kept doing that after we stopped working together. And it was lovely to see, and lovely to see the end stories. So again, I was kind of starting to see that artwork could be used for kind of a therapeutic tool. So my team got disbanded back in 2010. And I did get offered another post, but I decided that was my point, that I wanted to try and do my artwork full time and go for it. So I think I'd managed to save up about five grand and that was it. I was like, that either works or it doesn't, so let's go for it. And that's when Whimsical Lush started. So is that like, <coughs> that five grand was to sort of keep you going and if that hadn't have worked, then you would have sighted off and gone back to what you were doing? It was quite, yeah, basically. I had that as a safety net. Obviously, my post wouldn't have been around forever um, in, in Angus, but yeah, that was my wee safety net. But no, I was pretty determined. And I did, I had my, my illustration work, I started doing my markets, like, so I was illustrating and then producing cards, and then that came onto, like, stationery. Once I'd built up enough money to move on to making, like, little notebooks and, and things to sell. So that kind of slowly built up, I managed to build up my stock. But on the side, I was still doing a little bit of work with a social worker. I was writing life story books for kids that were about to be adopted. So I was kind of taking their stories and making them a bit more palatable so that they had that written down later in life and making sure that they looked as nice as possible as well. So there was lots of nice pictures and illustrations in there for them as well. So that was like kind of a wee bit of a, I don't know, a wee bit of a backup plan while I was getting myself off the ground. But yeah, five grand or bust. But I suppose you had that security of you still had a little bit of work coming in anyway. Yeah. Um, so that it wasn't full time. No, yeah. Because it's a helpful thing to have. For me, definitely, when I made the jump, I was searching for that, that security, that, that little bit of something to cling on to, to know that at the end of the month the bills will still get yeah. paid, even if, worst case scenario, I don't make anything off the, the design or the illustration work. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> but it makes you determined. You're like, I need to eat. So mm-hmm. and, and doing life storybooks was only ever on like short time sessional contracts. So it was only like eight weeks at a time. So you'd kind of squirrel that money away and you're like, right, what am I gonna do next? And So where where did the name come from then? My friend. <laughs> my friend called me Whimsical Lush one day. He's like, That describes your work. And I was like, oh my goodness, so like my, my drawings, I guess, have been described as being quite whimsical. I will quite often do them on a whim. There's sometimes no rhyme or reason why I do them. I'll spotted something that inspires me. I'll have been wandering around Dundee, spotted a nice rooftop and thought, right, okay, I'll, I want to go and draw something. So yeah, I'll do things on a whim. So it's whimsical and lush with all the colours. When I do add colours, um, they'll be quite bright and very nature inspired. So kind of lush woodlands and fields and things. So. Because your style is quite distinctive. Like if you if you see one of your pieces, you know that it's whimsical watch. But I'm interested to find out how that 
how that style came about? Did you always just doodle like that, or was it developed in a particular way, in a particular direction? Um, it's really nice to hear that there is a style, because yeah, like I said to you earlier, I, yeah, I, I didn't go out to go, I need to have a style, I just drew, and drew and drew and drew, so it kind of comes out of doodles. Those little houses that I draw all the time came out of um, sketching some sheds up the back of Dundee at the West End. Uh, I was walking up, up the road and decided to go explore off a wee side street that had never been up. Um, and then I was sitting in a meeting and started doodling. So that's where the start of all my little sheds and houses and stuff came up. But yeah, I'm not quite sure where the style came from. Just I'm very, I love Froud, um, Brian Froud, Dark Crystal, all that kind of stuff. Arthur Rackham. I kind of grew up with that, so it's very twisty, twirly, quite detailed, and I love things that are hidden, and you've got to really look for them. I like a little tiny detail that maybe I'll only ever see, maybe nobody else will ever spot it, but I like having little hidden things that people, especially kids, I like kids to have something. I know that fascinated me when I was wee, so I quite like to do that as well. So yeah, I think it, the style came naturally, but definitely from influences of living in the middle of nowhere, kind of loads of... Yeah, forests and trees and stuff. And yeah, because there's definite hidden. sort of themes throughout the stuff that you do. Um, yeah. And that animals and characters, and then there's quite structural stuff like the castles and the, mm. the houses and the, the trees and stuff as well. Is that a conscious thing that you, your work has those themes, or is that just how it happens? It just happens. Unless I've got a commission, and then it's mm. like, could you do this? But quite often people commission me because they just want me to do my thing. <clears throat> so they'll give me a rough kind of guide. I think one I had around about Christmas time, they asked me to specifically have a house in it because they loved the little houses and I was free to do whatever else I liked um, and we brought in a few themes from their family life as well and personalised it but they were wanting me to, to do what I do but then with other things like Porter's Gin, they had their gin and they knew what the flavours and things were going to be, all the botanics that they were using and the process but what they didn't have was an image so they were quite stuck with that so I came along and they took me through the process and showed me how they were making the gin, which was great. And we came up with the concept. Like I, I got the flask because it was very, like they used the rotovap and, and all the botanicals were put into the flask. So that's where the flask concept came from. And then I was drawing all the different botanicals that would go in it. So it was a really, really nice process. So yeah, if I've got a strict strict dish get a commission like that I will, i'll come up with that if i'm just left to doodle it will nine times out of ten be little houses and the trees and the little girl pops up quite a lot i used that for one of my my early bucket trail like sculptures so she pops up quite a lot and she will continue to pop up on a personal project that i'm working on later but. so how did you build it up one of the things that's often difficult you can start and you can do a few bits and pieces but it's sustaining that practice so that you can then make a living off of it mm -hmm. and how do you how have you built up your sort of social following and your sort of your audience heaps of hard work i think people think it just happens <laughs> it doesn't i probably spend at least an hour every day on social media either replying to people or putting up a post you've got to think about what posts you put up what you're going to write what platforms you're going to share on them and um, share them on um, so that takes quite a bit of time and it yeah I say an hour, it's probably not, it's probably about two hours a day, like either end, and just making sure things are, are on there. And that's um, markets, face-to-face -face was really good. Um, and you'll find that through interviews and things, you're meeting loads of different people. I got to meet loads of different people through markets, 
And because we were face to face and they were asking me questions about illustrations, they'd be like, so what's that all about? So I could tell them the story. And then I was like, but if you want to hear more stories and find out more about what I'm doing, I've got Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, slowly but surely that would trickle down. And then people sharing things that they've bought online as well is really good. And then their friends will see. But yeah, it's taken a lot of hard work. Um, so do you have a different approach to, let's say, what you post on Facebook or what you post on Twitter and how you sort of manage the different aspects of social media? Do yeah, you? yeah, I do. Instagram's a bit more relaxed. It's like, what am I doing day to day as well as processes? Facebook, I tend to only put one post up a day, maybe not every day as well. And I can link in a few more things, but I'm very conscious at the moment that Facebook is kind of um, not letting people see very much a lot of the time. So I try and make the posts count. And you can tell more stories on Facebook, I think, and it's got a better... I'm conscious that people can share more on Facebook. They can click the share button, whereas that's not quite so easy on Instagram. Twitter, I find, is a bit more businessy. It's funny, they've all got a different vibe. Like, Twitter's definitely a bit more businessy. So that'll be where um, you'll get reporters. Kind of, this, if you see posts, um, quite often you'll get like phone calls and stuff after putting up a post because that's where they tend to, to be on and, and other businesses tend to share more on Twitter. Um, so no, it's definitely got a different vibe about it. It's funny. And I, I hated Twitter for ages. <laughs> I was just like, I just don't get on with this. I don't understand it. There's no pictures. But they changed the layout of it a little bit so you can share pictures and stuff a bit easier. But I still struggle with the word count. Like those characters, I'm like, oh, so I'll have something written out that I'm quite happy with on Facebook or Instagram. You stick it on Twitter and you're like, ah, delete, delete, delete. And you're like, oh, this is down to nothing and I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> I kind of like it though. Sometimes it's good to self edit and just yeah. say, like, well, I've got to force it in. So you've got to make sure what you're saying is, is valuable in that time you'll expect. It's yeah. Good. No, absolutely. It's good practice. Yeah. <laughs> and do you find you engage with people much on Twitter? Like start conversations? And... Yeah. Yeah, I do. I don't. I find it quite frustrating sometimes that you can see conversations like left on your on your page because I quite like to see a page of illustrations and what that person's all about if I go into somebody else's feed. Mm-hmm. So, but it is it is really good to to chat. Like I do a thing called Color Collective every Friday, yeah. and you just the hashtag thing on Twitter is brilliant and it brings together little communities of people. So I've met loads of people in that through the collective and it's just loads of illustrators. You post up once a week to a colour and you can add a splash of that colour, your whole illustration can be that colour, whatever, but it brings loads of people in. Um, so I chat quite a bit on that. Um, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's lovely. Or just, yeah, engage with people that you, again, never ever meet. Um, on Instagram, I've met people all over the world that I would never have met otherwise it's been really really nice i think twitter and instagram are good for meeting new people and whereas facebook people have to come to you whereas the other two you can kind of engage it's really nice for that but no i've done collaborations with people um over in america and australia and things just sticker swaps loads of cool stuff it's it's good whereas you don't tend to get as much of that on facebook Mm. so yeah so how do you generate new business do you do you use social media for that or is it more you just sort of face to face Uh, it seems to come more face to face. Well, if I'm wanting to generate sales on my Etsy, that'll come from social media. Um, and I do notice it if I post more. I don't like to be in your face selling stuff because um, I'll quickly unfollow a page if it's just like, buy this, buy this. So I like to, to tell the story and, and engage people in the story and what I'm doing and then make a week kind of, well, if you'd like it, you can go to Etsy or 
or whatever, um, or the market that's coming up or, or however. But um, commissions, I seem, seem to come from people that have followed me for a while on social media, so um, or from people that I've met face to face and word of mouth as well. So if I've done something for someone, say the mural that I'm working on at the moment, say they've got someone coming in, and um, it'll nine times out of ten come from word of mouth, which is really nice. So yeah. Do you ever get sick of social media? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do all the time. Yeah. Just, like, sometimes it feels like a like a burden that you feel like you have to. Yeah. Have to. And it can become a bit addictive as well. I get sick of it because it gets in the way of my drawing, because it'll in, it can interrupt you. I've I've had to learn to do my post and then put my phone away so that it's not beeping at me and not flashing away in the corner. I have to put it either in a different room or the other side of the room, quiet, because it does distract. And if I'm trying to get into the drawing zone or if I just want to draw or be creative, yeah, I have to switch it off. So it gets in my way that way. I like interacting with people because I work on my own a lot. It's nice in that way. So I don't find it a burden in that way. I quite enjoy it. I enjoy the interaction. But yeah, it becomes a burden when you feel that you have to put a post up and I've not got anything that I'm particularly desperate to share. I'm just like, oh, well, I, I need to keep up the consistency. That's when it can become a bit difficult. But yeah, the distraction. I think it's good to have at least a couple of days every week that you're not putting anything up. And you're just being quiet, no social media, <laughs> switch off. You mentioned there the, the drawing zone. Yeah. I was doing air quotes there. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's that like for you? What's the environment like? What's, I mean, do you have music on? Do you like, listen to podcasts? Like, what works for you? Depends what I'm working on. If yeah. I'm doodling, like the Funny Day project, that's just one big massive doodle and I can do as much or as little as I want because it's a personal project. So then I'll put podcasts on, I'll listen to audiobooks sometimes, depends, it's really hard to get audiobooks with voices that aren't annoying, <laughs> I found, so that's quite a rarity, but yeah, I love listening to podcasts and just the radio, I love Radio 6 on quite a lot, just yeah, a bit of banter in the background or just stick on Spotify. I've got um, playlists that I've created, so I've got my drawing playlist. So I know that I'm pretty safe if I stick that on. I don't need to worry about it and just get into the zone. But yeah, it's just, you forget about everything else that's going on and you're just concentrating solely on what's what's in front of you. It's so is great. that quite mellow or is that like Rammstein? Oh, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit of Rage Against the Machine yesterday. <laughs> but other times it'll be pretty chilled. There'll be a bit of like, yeah, what? Um, I don't know. It's really difficult. What music do you listen to? Ah, I can't think of anything I listen to now. <laughs> but no, I go from fairly chilled and mellow to like, yeah, pretty heavy sometimes. But it depends what you're drawing. It's it's nice. But to get into that zone is lovely. Um, to be interrupted out of that zone is pretty annoying. <laughs> um, so the Fun of Day project you mentioned. Yeah. Um, how many days was that for? The whole of January. Whole of January. You start oh. on the 1st of January. Yeah. And you just... You worked on so it was one piece that you developed over the over the month. Yeah, it's just getting doodle every day, and it was it's good to do something just because because you don't have to do fun a day. It's I think this is the seventh year that they've run it, but I think there's fun a day all over the world. Mm. But fun day Dundee, um, I think they started seven years ago, and last year um, was the first year I took part in it, and I I made a little thing every day. Um, you don't have to do a thing every day, but it's really nice to just have a little project on the go that 
there's no pressure, do what you want, and then there's a wee exhibition at the end. But this one I decided to work on a big piece, and every day I'd add in a house or a tree or a lamp post or a little rabbit or something every day for the 31 days, and it's ended up in a big piece that covers like an A3 bit of paper. Pretty chuffed. And it's, it's nice to see it come together, so I took little photos as I went along and pulled it together as a wee film, so it's nice seeing it building up as you go. Did you find you got a lot out of that, the, the repetitive practice? Because I don't know whether, would you normally draw every day? Yeah. So you would be doing that anyway, you'd be putting pen to paper every day? Pretty much every day. Not every single day, like say if I've got a market day. Mind you, generally on markets, if you get quite a half hour, I'll be doodling in, in a notebook anyway. But most days I'll draw, um, even if it's just silly wee sketches that never see the light of day. But most days I'll draw. If I go for more than a few days without drawing, I get a wee bit like, ah. <laughs> so is it a way of you like venting that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But it's not that I need to vent, like, getting agitated or annoyed or anything. It's just I need to do it. It's mm. just, it needs to happen. So if I've got a focus thing that needs to happen, that's even better because it's productive and fun. So it's good. One of the big things for you last year was the, the bucket trail. Yeah. Um, so how was that whole experience for, for you? Mental. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird, it was about this time last year I was sitting down for the first time having a meeting about it. It was really bizarre. Um, yeah, I was doing a lecture about it a couple of weeks ago at Dundee Uni and yeah, I was reflecting on the whole bucket trail. But it started off with me just, um, it was the year before, I was asked to do the first sculpture um, at a market and that's how I'd, I'd, I'd bumped it. So again, it's through chatting to people and um, Mary had been following me for a while on social media and she, she realised that I was in a market up in Aberdeen. She was the art coordinator for the Wild Dolphins Trail. So um, yeah, she was like, do you fancy drawing on Urwale? And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you crazy? But um, she explained it all and I was like, absolutely, that'd be brilliant. So initially I was only going to be one of the artists and I was more than happy at that. I was quite happy about getting to, to um, draw on the sculpture and be part of the trail. But then the job cropped up for art coordinator as well. And a few people said, oh, you are going to go for that, aren't you? I was like, nah, I'm fine. I just want to draw. It's okay. But I kept, I got prodded again from a few more people. So I put an application in and it was successful. So it was really cool. Um, met up with Cassie and Neil, like I say, around about this time last year. And they were just explaining what was involved and everything. It's like, absolutely, count me in. It sounds absolutely brilliant. And it was meant to be a part-time job. I'll still say that's the biggest lie I've ever been told. <laughs> it was not a part-time job. Um, it, I ended up coordinating, I think, I totted it up, I think it was like 73 different artists and sometimes there was collaborations going on, so there was a group of like five artists working on one sculpture and there was designers like designing them but then not creating them, so it was like putting people together that way and uh, managing sponsors and artists um, to collaborate. There was there was ton, loads, loads more going on than I ever anticipated, but it was absolutely brilliant. I did my first one as a kind of an example 
of what was the trail was going to be about. So I was live painting in the apex last February, which was pretty scary. Because <laughs> he had never drawn on a sculpture before. Like, he's got a lot of wee twists and turns and angles that are horrific. <laughs> You're just like, so yeah, I think one of my friends and I were joking about it after Isla um, Spalding, and she was like, I think we're going to develop some kind of yoga. It's like, ooh, willy yoga lattes. Because, <laughs> like, you're upside down and kind of in the weirdest positions, like, drawing on them, trying to get behind the trousers. And oh my God. But I was doing that live in, in the apex in front of, like, the whole cafe of people. It's like, oh God, <laughs> what have I done? But it was good. Um, so, how did that start then? So, you, you did you sketch something out, like, do a design beforehand on yeah. the paper and then move to. Yeah. Yeah, but when, when we were designing them, none of us had seen the sculpture. So you just had a flat bit of paper with four different kind of perspectives of this sculpture, but it was flat. And then I met him. I was like, whoa, your head's way bigger <laughs> than I anticipated. And the, the dungarees were like a lot chunkier as well. So I had to adapt my design as I went along. I stuck very true with my, my kind of my initial design but yeah I had to adapt some of the sizings and things and I think a lot of the artists did so I was glad as a coordinator I could guide the other artists if they needed a hand with things because I'd done it so mm -hmm. I'd like you know done the practical bit first but yeah it was pretty entertaining I think for the people in the cafe quite a lot of the time it was like absolutely there was a couple of photos I think taken as well that were a bit embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> they got shared around uh, oh it was a Scottish banter and stuff I'm like oh so nice <laughs> But no, it was good. And then, yeah, the trail went live in June. And yeah, we, we knew it was going to be a fun thing. And it was free summer holidays, so kids are going to be engaged in it. But it's weird. A lot of kids didn't know who Wally was. They'd come along and go, who is he? So you're explaining. But by the end of it, everybody knew who, who Wally was. Um, it was pretty good. The success of it, I still keep pinching myself. It's like I didn't ever, ever think it was going to be that big. Um, but I think just... The nature in which it happened, Dundee's never really done a big public art trail like that before, so it was just pretty huge in all ways, but life-consuming. That was my life up until the end of September. And still, like, every in a week or so there's something pops up and people want to talk about it, or interviews or lectures, or so. Yeah, it's definitely the trail that keeps on giving. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. exciting and life-changing. Yeah, it was it's just this, this massive success that came. Yeah. I think it's, it's nice to see things like that happen in the city. It's exciting. It was really exciting and Dundee went nuts for it. Like, really, really embraced it. Everybody, like everybody, everybody. I'd go around maintaining the sculptures during the summer and I had to queue to get to them. Like, not just one or two of them, pretty much all of them. There was never a time that there wasn't anybody taking photos and your selfies. And it was lovely. And there was, like, there'd be groups of teenagers going around, but standing next to, like, a couple of old ladies, next to families. Um, everybody was ticking off their wee lists, and, like, or they had the app out. And it was just really, really lovely to see people coming together. And the general chat was, isn't this amazing? Because I didn't always let on who I was. Um, and I just like chat to people and like, this is amazing. This idea is great. And it's really brought Dundee together. And I had seen quoted somewhere that it was like a carnival feel. And for Dundee to be described as having a carnival feel is quite something. So you know, it's, it was really good. Was the, the maintenance of them a big job then over the summer? Huge, yeah. But people 
interact with them, which was the idea, like selfies and things. I didn't imagine people would climb on them quite so much, but they were mainly just climbing on them to get a good photo. And it was mainly, I, I keep saying cuddle marks, because it was like under their arms here got scuffed quite a lot and the tops of the legs and the tops of the feet, like little kids were standing on top of their feet. So mainly it was like scuffs. A couple of them, I think we needed to kind of think about how weatherproof they were. Um, so I was because were they all here. like the finishes on them were they all different? <clears throat> yeah, most of them were painted, and the painted ones are easy. Like you can repaint bits. The ones that had a bit more texture to them were a bit more tricky to maintain. So the one at the top of the law had a bit of decoupage going on. Um, we kind of knew that the the paper birds on its head wouldn't last for very long, so we were kind of primed for that. But we wanted to see the artist was really keen to see that happen. Just as long as you know it's going to be at the top of the law, um, so those birds aren't going to last very long. Um, and they didn't, but he still looked really smart at the end, and we we added bits in. Um, but yeah, some of the the paper didn't react so well. Um, so there was constant maintenance and painting and kind of revarnishing and things. But he ended up looking super smart for the auction because we'd repainted him entirely and redone his paper. So he looked as good as new from the end, which is really nice. So he went through a little process and a wee adventure up that hill. And other ones, I was chasing bits of paper around and things. So I think lesson from that is that if they're going to be outdoors, like paint. <laughs> Any textiles and kind of paper, definitely better inside, even though they're varnished and coated. Um, our weather is not very kind sometimes. Yeah, so there was many a time, even AJ was out helping me glue jute hair to heads in the middle of parks and stuff. You're like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> but yeah, it was constantly, and uh, yeah, I think at the end, people, some people like would see me around different sculptures, because obviously I had to go around like my, my weekly rounds. So you had to split them up over a few days because there was so many of them. And I'd bump into the same people and she says, oh, there's the Urwilly girl again. And I was like, is this going to be my name now forevermore? <laughs> the Urwilly girl. I'm like, great. <laughs> but no, such like, yeah, I'm so proud of it. And just the outcome as well was incredible. I think the main thing was just people getting excited about art and the art being accessible to everyone was my main thing is like it needs to be accessible not everybody wants to go into a gallery to see things it can be a bit intimidating and just the fact that everybody and anyone could visit something for free go and see it on their own terms and enjoy it and there was such a wide range of artists that there was kind of something for everyone there was more cartoony stuff there was design stuff there was characters so i think there was at least one that everybody would like do you know what i mean like yeah there was something for everyone and that was really good. I think it's something that the city needs is more accessible art. Yeah. And that you look at, I mean, you go and visit other cities and you see gigantic murals in the centre of town or places have got tours of amazing artworks that are just in the street. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's something that Dundee lacks There's massively, no. I think. And it's got some amazing, like, gable ends of buildings. Oh, that you could tell do me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a few sculptures. Um, dotted about which is nice but no there needs to be more mm. i look how popular the penguins are and people love them i think something with a wee bit of story and a wee bit of character but no you go down and see i went down to um bristol and that is epic for the street art like um upfest had been just after upfest happened a couple of years ago and yeah, it's absolutely incredible you had all the big hitters like phlegm and stick and everybody and then just 
you can apply for it so you have like kind of lesser known people taking part as well and wandering around and yeah you see all the sticker the sticker art happening as well it's good fun um, and then Shoreditch as well, went wandering around. And you get the graffiti tours and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. You're wandering around and we just wander around and enjoy it and take it in. And if you stumble across something, that's really cool. But yeah, they've started doing these graffiti tours now as well, which is really... So we've kind of passed a few of them. But it's good exploring and just finding things. And I think it's nice to have a wee secret that you stumble upon that you're not sure if anyone else knows about. Mm. And then sharing that. And I think that's where social media is fun. Like sharing little hidden secrets, you're like, oh, I guess look, look, look what I found. It's good. You're also involved in something else at the, the Slessor Square, the Discovery Walks. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how did that come about? Quite naturally, which is nice. I curate little exhibitions for Irvin down at Freedom Hair, um, hair Experience. And so that involves me speaking to people that I don't necessarily know as well. So different artists. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll come around and I'll interview them and we'll have an opening night for their art and everything and it's really really good and it's really really brilliant for him to have um, fresh artwork up on the walls regularly because like people come in to get their hair cut and it's good conversation pieces and it's nice to showcase people's work and same so it works really really well together but for me I get to meet new people that again I would never have had an excuse to speak to before like at the bucket trail I met so many people that I would never ever have spoken to before or had the excuse to so there was an opening night for one of the exhibitions and Kelly Marr had come along with one of her friends who happened to be the sister of the artist it was showing and um, yeah, we just got chatting and she's like, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm an illustrator, artist, this, and she's like, do you have any pictures of what you do? So I was showing her a few wee pictures on my phone and things and she's like, I absolutely love it. Brilliant, got really excited about it and started talking about this project that was just happening and they just got like the committee together. We've got a steering group that work with us, so professors, and there's like Dundee University, Aberdeen University, there's like a few private businesses, there's lots and lots of people involved from Dundee, um, and they help us make sure that everything's historically accurate and, and all the rest of it. And then Kelly's like, she came up with the idea of Discovery Walk. So she's an Australian who is really enthusiastic. So she was telling me at this exhibition night, she's like, Australia's got writer's walk and there's other places that celebrate all the people that are awesome from their city. Like, why doesn't Dundee do that more? Um, why doesn't Scotland shout about itself more? And she she really likes that, that we're quite, quite shy almost about what we've achieved. And she's like, but Dundee's got so much to give and offer and has given these amazing gifts that we should shout about them. So she wanted to translate Writer's Walk into um, a walk in Dundee in the form of the, the bronze plaques. So she, I think she'd been fighting to get that off the ground for about 10 years. So it was really, really cool that we met just at the point that they'd got the committee together um, and they were looking for an artist. And yeah, she's like, well, I want you to be the artist. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, okay. So you know when you have a night out, sometimes you'll be dead excited speaking about plans and things and collaborations. Some of them get off the ground, some of them don't. Some of it's a lot of chat and it doesn't happen and other things happen. Well, this did. And yeah, so I became the the artist for the trail, um, which was really exciting. So got to go along to the next meeting, sat down, met everybody. And initially they just wanted the plaques to look pretty. So um, with the square plaque, 
there was a circle in the middle with the writing, the academic stuff, um, like a little quote um, about the person um, and the academic stuff and they wanted them to look pretty. So initially it was all about making nice patterns and things around the edges. But a lot of my work's to do with storytelling and I like to tell a story. So I kind of put it forward as like, do you mind if I play about with a few ideas and maybe tell some of the story that we can't tell in words on the plaque and just pad it out almost. And also it would maybe bring a bit more interest to them. People would be asking, why is there an Eiffel Tower on a plaque in the streets of Dundee? That kind of thing. Or why is there a jellyfish there? So we worked on that idea and yeah, they, they really liked it. So that's how they became a bit more um, illustrative rather than just pretty patterns. So that was exciting. But but no, Kelly was really, really enthusiastic and just has pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And yeah, that's probably that and the Bucket Trail are my, my two biggest projects so far. But I think what I love about them is they engage people and talking about public art. They're there in the ground now for a long, long time. They'll be there when I'm not here, still telling the stories. And I want them to, to spark, like, I want a kid to come along and spot it and kind of get a bit inspired about history because they've seen an illustration in the ground in bronze. Maybe take rubbins from them, like brass rubbins or something, and just go, why? Why is that there? Ask loads of questions and, and just be inspired and you never know what that'll take off. But, I mean, the Dundonians that we we're celebrating, there's Darcy Thompson, who's mathematical biology so like all the Fibonacci sequences that you get in the middle of sunflowers and all the organic beautiful patterns you see in nature he like explored and discovered and they've all done so many clever things I can't (laughs) quite get across in words but um yeah you need Kelly there for all the nitty-gritties of of the stuff but like Spear and Lacombar um they developed flat screen technology so for calculators and for our computers and phones and everything, that was in Dundee, just around the corner of the Geddes Quadrangle. There's so much history and so many gifts that have been given to the world from Dundee that, yeah, she's dead right to want to push that and want it to be celebrated. And she did. We celebrated with a huge civic reception and big speeches and grand unveiling and everything. It was really cool. No, it's nice. I think accessible public art is definitely the way to go. And I think it's a good draw for a city. I mean, I deliberately go places because I want to be inspired and I want to find things and I want to discover things. And I think if there's more free, accessible public art that's of really high quality that will inspire people, I think that'll be an added attraction for people to come to Dundee. But there's more and more bits popping up everywhere. It's really nice. There's lots of pockets of stuff starting to to pop up. It's yeah. nice. We're obviously going to have an influx of, of tourists and people coming here. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah we we need more things for them to do and explore in here. But we also need more things to engage everyone in and around Dundee, so that you don't just chuck up a museum and then alienate the people who are going to be living and, and enjoying that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to, to capture those two audiences. Yeah, sure. no, absolutely. I think oh, the creativity is there is everywhere and done. If you if you just need to open a door or kind of lift up a wee carpet somewhere, you'll find somebody that's super creative in Dundee. I think that's really nice. But just being able to showcase it and really kind of get people excited about it and willing to do things. Dundee's quite a good doing place. Generally, if people talk about things and they're passionate enough, it will happen. It's quite a doing place. Um, I do like that. 
Yeah, and I think at the moment it's it's got that that feel about it, and mm. and often it's more like if you want it done, just go and do it yourself. Yeah. Um, don't wait for it to happen, or yeah, if you if you really want it, just do it. Yeah, oh, I totally believe in that. I got so fed up when I first started out. There was markets and loads of different places, but there wasn't really anything in Dundee unless it was vintage, and my stuff doesn't it's it's artwork it's not vintage it's not secondhand clothes and things so it didn't quite fit in and I got quite frustrated with not having a market and a platform so I'd been working a wee bit with Brewdog and um, doing some commissions for them so I was like do you mind if I do a wee pop-up shop here because I know you guys and there's this like all your space and stuff so yeah just do it if, if there's a need and it's not there then Get off your bum and do it. <laughs> What's the worst that can happen? Exactly, exactly. You just try again. So you've talked like, a lot about very diverse projects that you've been involved in. Mm. And obviously you started, the sort of core of it was the illustration stuff. But do you find yourself spreading out into new areas and doing new things, like more and more often? Yeah. Collaboration seems to do that, which is nice. I'd really like to start making my stuff move, though. Yeah. That would be my next thing. I really, really want to see it move. And you get little fancy apps and stuff for your phone that I can do really basic stuff. But yeah, next stage I'd love to see my stuff move. And there's so much you can do with illustration. It it doesn't need to just be static on a page. So yeah, there's it. I think I'd like to see it kind of go different directions. So I'm making making tentative kind of moves to that this year. I just, yeah, I want to see my stuff doing more. Like, it's already on mugs and it's very functional and notebooks and things, and I like that. So it has different purpose rather than just being framed and on a wall or in a box <laughs> in, in my little space at home. But no, I like seeing things be a different beast, almost. So. Have, you got, have you got a vision beyond, beyond that? And mm. Like, I don't know, five, ten years down the line, where would you want to be? Where would you want to go? I want to do more collaborations. Um, I'm working on a book. I'm determined that that's going to happen. But it sounds bad. Like that. Things keep getting in the way. <laughs> but awesome things keep getting in the way. Like I had Discovery Walk and then the Bucket Trails. So my book sat on a wee shelf or in its box um, for a while. So I really, really want to see that happen. And all the bits and pieces around that that I want to see happen. Um, and I want to do a really, really big kick-ass exhibition, like huge, that you kind of go into a bit of a world and experience things. Rather, it's not just going to be framed stuff on a wall. It'll be an experience. So that's the kind of, yeah, I've got loads of ideas, but too many and not enough time and not enough people, nobody to help me. Well, I do. <laughs> like my friends and family help me all the time, but yeah, some like, sitting down every day to do social media or all my admin or taxes all that stuff takes up time that i want to be creating and doing stuff so there's that balance <laughs> so it's like you're an intern i do <laughs> i need to help <laughs> but i need studio space first before i can do that so there's there's loads of little steps i want to take so no i want to get studio space but it needs to be the right space like i've been offered spaces to share and things but I kind of need somewhere that I can lock everything up and lock myself in the room and just get on with it and yeah, just have space to just leave everything. Have you got any recommendations uh, for people like books or podcasts that have inspired you? Mm, books. I got a little series of books by an illustrator called Sean Tan. 
they're really nice. They're graphic novels. Adam Oler's as well. Um, his graphic novel's beautiful and he's working on another one at the moment. Um, yeah, there's so many books. <laughs> and harking back to Dark Crystal, um, I poured over that as a kid and had a lot of the Froud illustrations and stuff, just and Arthur Rackham books. Um, but that's all the stuff that I just absolutely... They, they're all, all focused on the little details and the kind of shadows and things, because when I'm not using a lot of colour, you want to express things through kind of shadows and line work and stuff. So no, I really, really love those books a lot. And then little quirky things like the April rabbits. It's just random, random little bits and pieces. But no, things like that. Yeah. Um, so if people want to find you, get in touch with you, how would they do that? Um, type in Whimsical Lush and it's pretty good. I'm glad I chose a really weird name because <laughs> it pops up pretty easily on Google. So I've got a website, um, which is whimsicallush.com. My Twitter account's at Whimsicallush, as is my Instagram and my Facebook and Pinterest and all the other things as well, but they're my main ones. Cool. Okay, well, thanks very much. You're welcome. <laughs>